Heavenly Father, uh, thank you uh, for this evening. Thank you for your word. Pray that your spirit would teach us and instruct us that uh, your word would be faithfully uh, proclaimed and taught and uh, that we discuss it with uh, reverence. And I pray that you'd bless our time together and uh, equip us uh, that we would grow in the knowledge of you and of your son and all, all of your promises and that we would uh, be equipped to uh, hold fast to your word and to uh, share it and proclaim it and that you would open uh, hearts and uh, minds to uh, understand your word and to uh, believe the good news and so we thank you for these things and we pray in your son's name amen okay so Last time we were in Isaiah and giving kind of an overview of chapters uh, 1 through 12, a little bit, the, the whole book. Uh, I don't know if any of you remember, because we, I mean, we had uh, at least one, one week off. Uh, me too. Um, when looking at the, the whole book, you can divide it into three parts uh, with a center section, 37 through 39. But then preceding that, chapters 1 through 36, uh, and following 40 through 66, uh, so you have these two big sections, uh, and then you have this uh, middle portion. And I only spoke briefly about it, just about the different uh, contexts uh, in which uh, the first section primarily focuses in the second uh, dealing with uh, some of the major empires at the time. Uh, do any of you remember uh, which which empires they were? Still the Assyrians? Yeah, the, Assyrians, the Assyrians. Babylonians. Yep, yep. yeah. Assyrians, uh, particularly in that first part, first 36 chapters, uh, the, the primary focus, not, not totally, not exclusively, uh, Isaiah deals with the other nations and such, but Assyria is front uh, and center uh, for, for most of that, uh, leading up to the middle portion where, uh, as we're going to see tonight, uh, God sends Isaiah to meet with Ahaz uh, at the upper pool uh, outside of, uh, just outside of uh, Jerusalem, outside of the, of the gate at the washer's field. And he's going to uh, prophesy be, before them uh, as he's facing a threat from uh, the Arameans and uh, the, the northern kingdom, uh, Israel, Ephraim. Uh, and then when you get into 37, so you start to get into this middle section and this, this narrative again, uh, the historical narrative. Uh, now uh, the Assyrians come uh, and at that same location, uh, they are uh, calling out now uh, to Hezekiah's people. Uh, so now uh, Hezekiah, uh, son of Ahaz, uh, these years later, after his father uh, has died, uh, even almost, almost 14, 15 years prior, uh, now he's confronted uh, by, by, the, by the Assyrians. Uh, and so there's a contrast between uh, his father's reaction and how he dealt with things and unbelief 
uh, and Hezekiah's in belief. And so it's all going to culminate in that. But then uh, in the historical narrative that follows, Hezekiah gets sick. Uh, he prays to God, calls out to Isaiah, uh, and God grants him another uh, 15 years of life, which was probably just preceding the actual Assyrian events. So they're kind of, chronologically, they're kind of swapped uh, around uh, chapters 36, or 37, 38, and, or, and I guess 36, 37, 38, 39 uh, must, must be the chapters. Uh, so 36, 37, dealing with the, uh, the Babylonian or the Assyrians coming uh, in, uh, to assault Jerusalem after they've laid waste so many uh, cities in Judea, uh, in the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. Now it's just Jerusalem uh, that really stands. Uh, and so then in uh, 38, 39, uh, Hezekiah's sickness grants him 15 years, and that, that's where he even says, what's the sign I should go up to the house of the Lord? Uh, so it, it's not offered to him, but he kind of demands it. Um, uh, so the, there's a subtle distinction, but important to understand between belief and unbelief. You know, uh, believing uh, the word of God's prophet and then him telling you, ask for a sign, you know, offering versus demanding a sign. Um, you know, there may be exceptions to that. Uh, in the case of like Mary, she believed the word, uh, that was proclaimed to her uh, that uh, the Spirit would come upon her uh, and such, but she was in a precarious situation because of Joseph and if you read like in the Gospel of Luke and I don't know if she asked directly for a, a sign, but she, she asks for clarification for some things um, and it wasn't in, in unbelief uh, like uh, Zechariah John the Baptist's father um, but anyway so then you, you have Hezekiah's sickness he extends his life 15 years uh, and uh, the Babylonians come and he shows them everything in the temple and his house and all, all the treasures and uh, to uh, impress uh, the, the Babylonians uh, who come, come along and probably gain uh, influence uh, and such like that. I, they dealt with uh, political, international relations uh, just like uh, today. And so you see Hezekiah's yeah, he's a believer, but he stumbles. Uh, you see uh, unbelief even. And because of that, uh, his sons, your sons, will go into captivity to Babylon. Uh, fo fo following you, uh, to which he says, well, at least there will be peace and safety in my day. You know, um, Not so concerned about what happens after him uh, into the kingdom, at least in that moment, like at the, that point in his life. Uh, so you, you see the unbelief. And... Uh, chapters 40 through 66 primarily then are dealing with uh, with Babylon. Uh, and there can be elements uh, perhaps uh, where some of, some of the Assyrian captivity, they were taken into captivity to Babylonia, Mesopotamia. And so some of it, there have already been those who've been brought into captivity, but his sons after him now, uh, those following, even looking to uh, to the events of uh, 605 uh, through 586 uh, BC uh, in three times in 597 too. You, you have these deportations as the Babylonians, uh, Babylonians come and finally destroy and wipe out uh, Jerusalem. And so a lot of it's looking at that then and the, the restoration of Jerusalem and uh, 
a lot, a lot of ideas about kind of new exodus themes and being being brought out of captivity and from being scattered abroad as the curses have come upon them. And so that's chapters 40 through 66. Uh, and then uh, what we're looking at, primarily chapters 1 through 12, uh, we saw, or spoke about that chapter 1 is kind of like an overview to the whole book and the first 12 chapters, but I mean, really to, to the book as a whole, uh, the first major section, chapters 1 through 35, uh, and, and then even these first 12 chapters that play, play a prominent role. And so kind of sets the themes and the tone uh, in the call for uh, repentance and faith uh, and God's judgment and salvation and bringing salvation through judgment and cleansing his people. Uh, and a lot of those things are just built on throughout the rest of uh, Isaiah. And then we saw in chapter 2, which there still is a pretty tight link uh, when you get into uh, chapter 5, but at the beginning of 2, you have... Well, actually, let's look at the, just the beginning of 1, just the first line. The vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. In the days of Uzziah, Jotham, uh, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. And so it begins uh, by introducing this vision uh, that he has, uh, and he goes into uh, to pronouncing it, Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken, Yahweh has spoken, which even goes back to, I mean, like the song that was given uh, to Moses to give to the people. Uh, God, uh, he has witnesses to the covenant. The people are witnesses. Uh, the heavens and the, he calls heaven and earth, all of creation to witness. Um, uh, and so it's, it's drawing like right on those covenantal themes and ideas, uh, calling them to listen about his people, uh, people's rebellion. Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord uh, has spoken. Children have I reared and brought up, but they have rebelled against me. Uh, the ox knows its owner and the donkey its master's crib, but Israel does not know my people do not understand. And just lays, lays into their uh, sin uh, throughout that passage. Uh, and then as you transition into chapter 2, even there ending that section, let's see, check, uh, verse 26, when he talks about smelting away their dross, uh, and I will restore your judges as at the first and your counselors as at the beginning, Afterward, you shall be called the city of righteousness, the faithful city. Zion shall be redeemed by justice and those in her who repent by righteousness. But rebels and sinners shall be broken together and those who forsake Yahweh shall be consumed. For they shall be ashamed of the oaks that you, or for they shall be uh, ashamed of the oaks that you desired and you shall blush for the gardens that you have chosen. For you shall be like an oak whose leaf withers and like a garden without water. And the strong shall become tinder and his work a spark. And both of them shall burn together with none to quench them. And so they're the strong men, those who are strong and mighty and 
uh, leaders and such shall become tinder and his work a spark. And so they and their works shall burn up in judgment. And so God brings salvation and cleansing to his people through judgment, through judging uh, the sinners, the unrepentant, uh, in saving and redeeming uh, those who uh, repent uh, and trust in him, uh, even saving them from the wicked who live in the very same nation and city as they do and often uh, take advantage of them. And they actually, there are different ways that the last section of Isaiah is broken up, 40 through 66. It may be, though, that there's this uh, refrain. It could be at the end of 48, uh, and then at the end of, I think, 57, chapter 57, 48, 57, uh, where... Let's look at these quickly just to see how Isaiah fits together a little bit and then we'll shift right back into what we were covering. So the end of 48. It could maybe be divided up a little, a little differently but the, this, these seem to be very prominent breaks. And so here I mean even pronouncing judgment on Babylon herself. Uh, and then Let's just start from verse 20. Go out from Babylon, free, uh, go out from Babylon, flee from Chaldea. And see the, see the names of Babylon. You can have the city, capital city, a prominent city uh, in Mesopotamia. You can have the Babylonians, and as in like the new Babylonians who were the Chaldeans who claimed to be like a restored Babylonian empire. So Babylon the city, Babylon the empire, whether uh, the old Babylonian empire under Hammurabi or which maybe doesn't, maybe with Babylon, I mean, maybe it gets kind of mentioned, but I mean Hammurabi isn't like mentioned in, uh, in scripture, uh, but he would be between the, uh, the period between the patriarchs and Moses. Uh, when, when he was around, uh, maybe around seven, 1700s or, or so BC. Um, but you have the new Babylonian Empire, that, uh, which the Chaldeans uh, laid uh, claim to, to restoring the, the great Babylonian Empire. Uh, and then you have Babylonia, uh, which after Hammurabi and the first Babylonian Empire, uh, the region of Mesopotamia, and maybe especially Central South, but I think even the whole region could be called Babylonia, uh, because the empire covered this great territory. So it can it can be the city, the empires, you know, the people, or or just this territory of of Mesopotamia between the uh, Tigris and Euphrates rivers, Tigris to the north and Euphrates uh, to the to the south, basically uh, modern day uh, Iraq. And so I go out from Babylon. Flee from Chaldea. Uh, declare this with a shout of joy. Proclaim it. Uh, send it out to the end of the earth. Say, Yahweh has redeemed his servant, Jacob. They did not thirst when he led them through the deserts. He made water flow for them from the rock. He split the rock and the water gushed out. So you see the exodus. Now, now exodus out of Babylon. Exodus out from Chaldea. Uh, where they were uh, driven and then you have this final statement. 
So he, he split the rock and the water gushed out. There is no peace, says Yahweh, for the wicked. This whole section 40 through 48 ends. There is no peace, says Yahweh, for the wicked. And so you have salvation right before that, but for the wicked, there is no peace. Then go, I think it's the end of 47. Unless. Might be off one chapter. Nope, end of 48. So then, then you have a. Oh, wait, I just went back to where we were. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm thinking of 50. I, I typed it in wrong, so I, I was kind of thinking the right thing, but I typed it wrong. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, um, 57. I, I was right. <laughs> 57. So 49 through, through 57 then. Uh, and look at... Let's just start at verse 15. Well, actually, maybe right before 14 because it begins with a thought. And it shall be said, build up, build up, prepare the way, remove every obstruction from my people's way. For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. For I will not contend forever, nor will I always be angry. For the spirit would grow faint before me in the breath of life that I made. Now there's some things going back to the flood uh, here. Uh, and also things of the, the Exodus preparing his people's way, but the spirit not contending forever. Um, and, and some of those things that maybe go back to the flood uh, which are themes that come up from time to time. So I, for I, I will not contend forever, nor will I always be angry, for the spirit would grow faint before me in the breath of life that I made. Because the iniquity of, the, of his unjust gain, I was angry. I struck him, I hid my face, and was angry. But he went on backsliding in the way of his own heart. I have seen his ways, but I will heal him. I will lead him and restore comfort to him and his mourners, creating the fruit of the lips, peace, peace, to the far and to the near, says Yahweh. Peace, peace, to the far and to the near, says Yahweh, and I will heal him. But the wicked are like the tossing sea, for it cannot be quiet, and its waters toss up mire and dirt. There is no peace, says my God for the wicked. So you have a very subtle differences, and it's kind of expanded upon, but you have salvation and judgment. Uh, and, uh, but the wicked are like the tossing sea, for it cannot be quiet, and its waters toss up mire and dirt. There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. And then go to the very end of Isaiah 66. So we, we're seeing these ideas in chap chapter 1, where everything starts out with the, the vision of Isaiah, son of Amos, 
And you see salvation and judgment uh, and going up like a tinder and like a, like a spark. Uh, the strong in their deeds will uh, burn up together. And then as you come to uh, the end of Isaiah, let's see, talks about the coastlands, uh, seeing his glory far away that have not heard my fame or seen my glory and they shall declare my glory among the nations. Uh, verse 20, and they shall bring all your brothers from all the nations as an offering to Yahweh on horses and in chariots and in litters and on mules and on dromedaries to my holy mountain, Jerusalem, says Yahweh. Just as the Israelites bring their grain offering in a clean vessel to the house of Yahweh. And so now the nations are bringing the Israelites, the Judean people, uh, to the Lord uh, as, as an offering. Uh, and some of them also I will take for priests and for Levites, says Yahweh. For as the new heavens and the new earth that I make shall remain before me, says Yahweh, so shall your offspring and your name remain. From new moon to new moon and from Sabbath to Sabbath, all flesh shall come to worship before me, declares Yahweh. You hear the, the new name? Sounds a little like some of the promises in Revelation that the Lord uh, gives to his people, Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, and, uh, from new moon to new moon and from Sabbath uh, to Sabbath, uh, all flesh shall, shall come to worship uh, before me, declares Yahweh. And they shall go out and look on the dead bodies of the men who have rebelled against me. For their worm shall not die, their fire shall not be quenched, and they shall be an abhorrence to all flesh. In other words, there is no peace for the wicked. And some talk about that uh, the idea of eternal punishment and judgment was some late idea. It was maybe, maybe invented by the New Testament or in church history, but uh, you can go before, but just look through Isaiah, go look at the end of, uh, of Daniel, uh, and you see eternal salvation, eternal life, e eternal damnation, eternal judgment, um, right there, right, right in the pages. So going all the way from chapter one uh, to, to these themes, uh, these may be the, what segments uh, the, the text uh, as far as Isaiah 40 through 48, uh, 49 through 57, and 58 through uh, 66. So let's go back now. So we saw the, the vision of Isaiah. And then last week we saw in chapter 2 of uh, the word that Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. And so you have a break in the text. You had a vision before. Now it introduces the word that Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. Uh, it shall come to pass in the latter days uh, that the mountain of the house of Yahweh shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills and all nations shall flow to it. it sounds kind of like we were, what we were hearing too at the end of, at the very end of Isaiah, at the very conclusion of it. 
and the nations coming and, and bringing uh, the, the Judean Israelite people uh, back to the land, to Jerusalem, uh, to God's holy mountain, uh, in the new heavens and the new earth, and them coming and worshiping before him uh, forever, from new moon to new moon, Sabbath to, to Sabbath. Uh, and so we saw this then work into chapter 4, uh, where it's framed with us with, with God's uh, holy mountain, uh, Mount Zion, uh, as you go through the judgment of the nations, uh, you have the judgment of Israel, uh, the, the prominent theme, by the way, right at the end of chapter 2. If you look for these exhortations, and then you see the support for them. And so they, they flee deeper and deeper. Uh, eventually, uh, in that day, mankind will cast away their idols of silver and their idols of gold, which they made for themselves to worship, to the moles and to the bats, to enter the caverns of the rocks and the clefts of the cliffs. From the terror of Yahweh and from the splendor of his majesty when he rises to terrify the earth. Stop regarding man in whose nostrils is breath. For what account is he? Stop regarding man in whose nostrils is breath. For what account is he? Isaiah at the beginning exhorts, Come, O house of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. For you have rejected your people, the house of Jacob. Uh, and so here you get to this, this big exhortation where you see all the judgment coming on the nations and they're, they're trusting, they're hoping in the nations, they're hoping in men, uh, in rulers and leaders. Uh, but in light of God's judgment in making uh, the proud humble and the high low and uh, bringing them down, they should get the point. Stop regarding man in whose nostrils is breath for what account is he? His breath is just in his nostrils. I mean, he's laid waste. God brings judgment and uh, people die and breathe their last. And um, uh, God gave life and he takes it away. Uh, and part of, so you have this exhortation and followed by uh, chapter three, verse one, four. So it's supporting the point that came before. So that's the central a message and exhortation, and then you have support uh, that uh, that supports it, uh, that backs it up. It's not the main point, but it supports uh, the big point. Stop regarding man in whose nostrils is breath. For what account is he? For here's the support for that exhortation. Behold, uh, uh, the Lord God of hosts is taking away from Jerusalem and from Judah support and supply, all support of bread and all support of water the mighty man and the soldier, the judge and the prophet, the diviner and the elder, the captain of 50 and the man of rank, the counselor and the skillful magician and the expert in charms. And I will make boys their princes and infants shall rule over them. And the people will oppress one another. Everyone is fellow and everyone is neighbor. Uh, the youth will be insolent to the elder and the despised to the honorable. For a man will take hold of his brother in the house of his father, saying, You have a cloak. Uh, you shall be leader. Uh, you shall be our leader. And this heap of ruins shall be under your rule. In that day he will speak out, saying, I will not be healer. In my, in my house there is neither bread nor cloak. Uh, you shall not make me leader of the people. For Jerusalem has stumbled and Judah has fallen. 
because their speech and their deeds are against Yahweh, defying his glorious presence. For the look of their faces bears witness against them. They proclaim their sin like Sodom. Uh, they do not hide it. Woe to them, for they have brought evil on themselves. Tell the righteous, it shall be well with him, for they shall eat the fruit of their deeds. Woe to the wicked, it shall be ill with him, for what his hands have dealt out shall be done to him. My people, infants are their oppressors, and women rule over them. O oh, my people, your guides mislead you, and you, uh, they have swallowed up the course of your paths. Uh, the Lord has taken his place to contend. He stands to judge peoples. Yahweh will enter into judgment with the elders and the princes of his people. Uh, it is you. And so he starts with the princes, with the elders. Uh, and so it's the people, uh, uh, first the people, uh, then the rulers, then the women. Uh, and then we saw the conclusion going into chapter four. Uh, and seven women shall take hold of one man because uh, their, their men will be cut down and judged, their warriors. And seven women shall take hold of one man in that day, saying, We will eat our own bread and wear our own clothes. Only let us be called by your name. Take away our reproach. So seven women. It's kind of the fullness, complete. All the women will, you know, gather around one man. One man. Uh, the population's going to be so thinned out. Uh, and even, he doesn't have to support them or even supply the, the normal benefits of marriage, uh, food, clothing, but uh, they'll wear their own clothes, they'll eat their own food, uh, just let them be called by their name. Uh, and so it's all of society that the judgment uh, comes across from the nations uh, where you see flowing uh, out of, well, the scene of, of them worshiping Yahweh at the beginning of chapter two, but then judgment upon all the nations uh, and then judgment upon his people, judgment on the rulers, judgment on the women. And then you get back into this vision. Uh, in that day, the branch of Yahweh will be beautiful and glorious, and the fruit of the land shall be of the pride and honor of the survivors of Israel. And he who is left in Zion and remains in Jerusalem will be called holy. Everyone who has been recorded for life in Jerusalem, uh, when the Lord shall have washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion, and cleanse the bloodstains of Jerusalem from its midst by a spirit of judgment and by a spirit of burning. Then Yahweh will create over the whole site of Mount Zion and over her assemblies a cloud by day and, the, and smoke and the shining of a flaming fire by night. For over all the glory there will be a canopy. Uh, there will be a booth, uh, like a tent for, for shade, for shelter, for shade by day from the heat and for a refuge and a shelter from the storm and rain. And so just like in the Exodus, where the pillar of cloud by day would lead them and give them shade from the, the sun and of the desert heat and pillar of fire by night uh, to give them light and warmth uh, in, in the cold, uh, barren desert place. And so, again, you see salvation framing this, this whole thing. And yet, as we saw last week, going into chapter 5, you have a turn, still kind of focused on the vineyard. Uh, you have this idea of a vineyard, uh, which is connected to Mount Zion, it's connected to God's holy hill, his people, Jerusalem, uh, Judah. Uh, but now it takes a turn for, for the worse. And might have emphasized a little too much, there is a break between chapters 2 and 4. 
you have it framed by, uh, by uh, the glory uh, of God's holy hill, Mount Zion, Jerusalem, uh, at the end of the age. And so it's a section, but you don't have the introduction here of a new word or a new vision from Isaiah. And so there, there, there's still connection here, even though you, you, now you go into a new song. Uh, and, uh, and so there, there's a new section, but it's, with, it's within uh, the broader, uh, broader section uh, that goes through chapter 12, beginning with a, uh, this song of judgment, uh, and then the people uh, speaking and even singing praise to him at the end of uh, 12 after God's uh, redemption. And so we, we saw the vineyard, let me sing for my beloved, my love song concerning his vineyard. Uh, my beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it and hewed out a wine vat in it. Uh, and he looked for its yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. And now owned inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. Uh, and so you see the, the revelation that he's really speaking about Jerusalem, Judah, uh, even uh, even uh, Israel, his people, uh, and the judgment that comes upon them because they didn't bear good fruit. They bore evil fruit. Uh, they bore evil deeds, evil words, uh, to which we saw the six woes pronounced on them, followed by two outstretched hands in judgment uh, in where it goes into uh, verse 25. Therefore the anger of Yahweh was kindled against his people and he stretched out his hand against them and struck them and the mountains quaked and their corpses were as refuse in the midst of the streets. And so this was past. They had this grand uh, earthquake. I forgot to look up. The, they have to kind of approximate the, the date. Uh, but is maybe around... Uh, 765 or in the 750s BC, 750s, 7, 760s BC. Uh, and so Isaiah's commissioning was uh, 740. And so the, this was within the memory of the people uh, where they had a terrible earthquake that some of the other prophets uh, speak about uh, as well. I think in Micah and a number of places and even some of the later prophets that come along even uh, maybe a couple centuries later, uh, there's memory of this judgment that had been brought upon them. And so this was passed. Uh, Therefore the anger of Yahweh was kindled against his people and he stretched out his hand against them and struck them and the mountains quaked and their corpses were as refuse in the midst of the streets. For all this, his anger has not turned away and his hand is stretched out still. So he originally stretches out his hand but he doesn't lower it after this uh, monumental earthquake uh, that dev devastated uh, and uh, killed many people. So there was uh, refuse laying and strewn about uh, throughout, uh, throughout the street, streets. Uh, and that's where you see, now looking to the future, he will raise, so his hand is stretched out still. Uh, he will raise a signal for nations far away and whistle for them from the ends of the earth. And behold, quickly, speedily they come. None is weary, none stumbles, none slumbers or sleeps. Not a waistband is loose, not a sandal strap broken. Their arrows are sharp and their bows are bent 
Uh, their horses' hoofs seem like flint, and their wheels like the whirlwind. Uh, their roaring is like a lion, like young lions they roar, they growl and seize their prey. They carry it off and none can rescue. They will growl over it on that day like the growling of the sea. And if one looks to the land, behold, darkness and distress, and the light is darkened by its clouds. And this will be contrasted with the promise of the son who will be born. To us, a son is born, to us, a child is given, and the government should be on his shoulders. Uh, right before that, going into chapter 9, again, darkness, people in darkness as the Assyrians come upon them, uh, but then turning to those who dwelt in the land of darkness on them, a light has shone. Uh, and so th this continual contrast uh, between God's judgment now turning to God's salvation, which following that section again, then uh, going back, God's arm is still outstretched still, outstretched still, you know, like another four times or so, and another uh, another couple couple of woes uh, but the, the final time his arm is stretched out maybe with the final woe it falls upon Assyria not his people anymore but uh, Assyria and so this brings us now it's a little roundabout but I, I want you to see a little bit of the structure of Isaiah and how it fits together because even if you can just hold on to some, some of those elements and you notice as you're reading and, and are reminded uh, just the three major sections of Isaiah uh, beginning with the, the context of what empire? Assyrians. Syrians. Uh, and then uh, focusing especially on them. There are other things going on, but I mean, they're, they're central uh, throughout. Uh, and the, the Babylonian Chaldeans come in and such. But then... Uh, you have the Babylonians for uh, for the final part. Uh, there, and there is no peace for the wicked. There is no peace for the wicked. You get to the end of 66. Uh, and so you just see some of these uh, elements of how it all fits together. Uh, and so as you read and you get some of the details, uh, if you notice some of these sections, you'll be able to fit it together better and understand it in the context. And they're facing the Assyrians uh, during this time. And yet... Sometimes judgment and salvation will even project to, uh, well, to God's kingdom, which, I mean, this was his kingdom, but, but to ultimately the, uh, the fullness of his promises, the fullness of the covenants, his eternal kingdom uh, that will never be shaken. And so you'll keep contrasting between these different, uh, different things. I, I remember some of the examples uh, that uh, some of the, Commentaries and some of my professors uh, and such would kind of talk about sometimes there's kind of a telescoping effect uh, where you, you might look out and uh, maybe you see mountain ranges or whatever. Or, uh, if, but then like if you look through a telescope, it, it can kind of foreshorten things a bit. And, uh, and so from one perspective, you might see depth and time, uh, but then suddenly it can kind of bring things to, uh, together, looking at the kingdom, looking at God's promises, where it's like, even in David's day, Solomon's day, you see them partially fulfilled. You see him subdue nations. You see it, uh, him bring blessing upon his people. Uh, you see their territory expand. 
it just falls woefully short of, of everything that they expected and hoped for. Uh, or sometimes kind of like, if, if you're looking at mountain, like a mountain range and you have mountains kind of back to back, like overlapping, it can look like there might be a mountain behind a mountain. It might look like they're, you can't tell how far away they are. You know, they look close. But if you come from another angle and you see them spread out, the formations, now, now you can see like distance uh, between them. And so uh, sometimes just with that, like looking to the kingdom, looking to their own day, looking to the future, um, you, you can get different elements as he's contrasting judgment, salvation, salvation for his people in, in his day, but looking to uh, even greater uh, everlasting rest and resurrection and uh, those things. Do you think that's what he's hinting at with the no peace for the wicked? You know, you think about Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, he had his kingdom and, oh, look at this great Babylon that I've built yeah. with my name. You know, he had peace in his time and mm -hmm. then he's, God punishes him and his mm -hmm. nation's overthrown and then the Persians show up and then they're overthrown by Greece and then Greece is overthrown by Rome and yeah. there's this constant striving yeah. and, and no peace. But like you talked about, you know, Hebrews, it talks about the Sabbath day of rest mm -hmm. is found in Christ and how... We can have peace. So I would assume the peace that he's talking about here isn't just a here and a now peace. Mm -hmm. It's mm -hmm. an eternal peace with God. Yeah, I mean, if you you see these things like in 40 through 48, but you, you get to the section, it's pronouncing judgment upon Babylon and bringing his people up. Uh, and so part of that, you know, I think is kind of you're saying, how do you disconnect that from the judgment that he brought at the time? In fact, he even says he raises up his servant, he has different servants. Uh, I mean, he has Isaiah, his servant, the prophet. Uh, you have his unfaithful servant, Israel, uh, sometimes maybe even referring to the remnant, you know, maybe his faithful servant. Um, and then you have Cyrus, his servant, his servant who doesn't know him. <laughs> and so, kind of like, I, I, part of it, I mean, he speaks like in parables. And so... You have to read uh, carefully uh, and such. There's more there, uh, like Jesus says. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. You know, if people want to reject God's word uh, and they're not willing to uh, to listen to the prophet, um, he's challenging them to, to listen to God's word, heed, heed God's word, be careful how you hear it. Uh, but if they have hard hearts and they want to rebel against him, you can just reject it. Um, and end up in kind of a muddle of uh, confusion. Um, like you say, there's there's a lot of near and far yeah. in Isaiah. Yeah. Um, this this is going to happen now. This is going to happen in the end times. And, and this is going to happen in Christ's time. And, yeah. You know, there's a lot of near and exactly. far. Exactly. And that's part of the thing to like unweave because it's like, be careful. I mean, even with some of the like servant songs where it's like, we want to make sure we're reading them in context and that we fully understand them in Isaiah. But as you keep reading those things, as we'll be seeing, we're only going to get so far tonight, but we'll cover it more than next week. We'll really focus on it. And there's more I want to set up, like with chapter 6 and just saying the context for this prophecy that we're going to see, where we're going to see, I think... If you do not recognize that uh, on some level uh, in the short term that it refers to Isaiah's own son, 
I think Isaiah would end up becoming a false prophet, uh, according to Deuteronomy 13, 18. And you would actually end up be undermining the sign, a part of the sign that establishes him and proves that he was a true prophet uh, and why, why he was believed. But we'll also see all these little subtle um, continuity with what he said that I think it's unmistakable that in the three years after his son was born, a whole bunch of all these things take place and happen. And, uh, and suddenly the northern kingdom Israel and uh, Aram, not a problem anymore for, for Judah. Uh, God's faithful to that. Uh, and, and how those elements would fit with Jesus, <laughs> I mean, it's three years after Isaiah's son was born, no problem anymore. Uh, the Assyrians came and did what God said they would do. Uh, and Jesus was born, uh, I mean, centuries and centuries uh, after these things. But there are also discontinuities where you see, you'll change up the wording a little bit. And, and it's, it's leaving certain things open. And uh, it makes you scratch your head a little bit. And, and then you keep reading and you get into chapter 9. To us, uh, to us, a son is born. To us, a child is given. Another! <laughs> it's only in the future. It's like, just be patient, you know. Uh, we, we'll get there. Um, but a lot of times, yeah, we just read Matthew, uh, Isaiah 7, 14. Okay, that's it, you know. Um, it's like, there, there's more there. And so, so it is with the, the peace, where how could that not refer to the Babylonians? But you see it come up again and again throughout Isaiah in chapter 1. Uh, and then 57, and then you get to 66, their worm shall never die, and uh, I mean eternal fire, eternal e eternal judgment, and so it's it's crescendoing uh, there, and it's clear that it goes far beyond. So yeah, I think you guys are exactly right. And so now there is a certain break in the text. It's within this section where you have multiple, multiple kind of sections. I, I mean, you have, you can think in terms of the book or the scroll, I guess that'd be a little less anachronistic of place and time. Uh, the scroll of Isaiah uh, that he wrote, uh, chapters one through 66, it's part of the scriptures, it's part, part of the prophets, law of prophets, writings. Um, and so you, you have the whole scroll of Isaiah and it, it's a composition. Uh, but then you at least have, you can, break up into these about three three parts with the narrative at the center and uh, with the and then first part really taking place with the Assyrians and uh, second emphasizing the Babylonians for the, the scroll as a whole. Uh, and then here looking at uh, chapters uh, perhaps 1 through 12, but especially like uh, 2 through 12. Uh, and, then, and then you have 2 through 4 uh, and, uh, and 5. Uh, through through twelve that, that forms a section where the you have these songs the song of the vineyard uh, and you see judgment but then you see salvation at the end as the people speak uh, and uh, sing to Yahweh and so we're we're kind of looking at five through twelve but you have a shift here with Isaiah's commissioning now within uh, these these subsections that you can break down smaller and smaller and eventually you get you get to the individual uh, lines and. Uh, statements that are being communicated and exhortations uh, that, that build up uh, to this whole, whole discourse, this whole scroll. 
And so we go from the darkness and these woes and uh, six woes, um, two outstretched hands, God's hand is stretched out still, uh, in this people that's not revealed who they are at this point, uh, but, but coming. Uh, it's going to pick up back up with them later. Uh, now into chapter 6, verse 1. Uh, in the year the king Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And so you have this new, uh, we spoke about like in Genesis, in the beginning, you have this context in time that's established. And it comes, comes first in the sentence, in the year that King Uzziah died. It's not a complete sentence. It's not, not a complete idea, but it sets the context in time uh, for what follows. So we've, we've had a change in the, the setting uh, now, uh, the year that King Uzziah died, uh, which would have been uh, 740 uh, within uh right around there, 740 BC, uh, where we see Isaiah's commissioning. And so, in the year that King Uzziah died, uh, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And now, what a contrast. Uh, King Uzziah lived this long, long life, although fair bit of it was a leper, as I recall, uh, for the judgment that came upon him. So he had to live as a leper. And his son, uh, Jotham, uh, was a, a vice regent and co-ruler for a while. And then uh, Ahaz, Jotham's son. And so here you have King Uzziah die. But during King Uzziah's time, uh, and you also had, uh, he reigned uh, the king of Israel for much of that, was uh, Jeroboam II. Uh, and the two of them lived uh, very long lives. It was some of the most prosperous times uh, in the history uh, of Israel, uh, in the, the southern kingdom, in the northern kingdom. Their territory expanded massively, uh, wealth and, and trade, uh, and prosperity and, and power. Uh, and so... I even heard someone compare, like, I mean, maybe in the U.S., uh, you know, at least for many, would maybe look to someone like um, maybe a Ronald Reagan, uh, where you see that the the military, like, built up and in, in reaching uh, even a, a zenith of, of power, the fall of the Soviet Union, and uh, in uh, times of uh, the, the economy starting to surge and roar. In uh, looking at that, uh, people would look at King Uzziah and uh, Jeroboam II and might say, now there's a king. But the spiritual ruin and idolatry within Israel and the high places that weren't removed, I think they, they evaluate a little differently uh, the author of Kings and Chronicles. <laughs> but uh, it's like even, even if they give a good evaluation, they say, yeah, but he left the high places intact, you know, where people worship false gods and uh, all of that. And so, okay, you know, uh, good as far as maybe they, they go, but you might think this is a, a great king. This is a time of, of unheralded prosperity in Israel, but they were in spiritual, spiritual ruin. Uh, and so a God's evaluation is, is a little different. 
But here this, this king dies, who, who would have been kind of looked to for stability and his long life uh, during this time in prosperity. He's dead, in which the people would be gravely concerned, you know, when you're, whenever you're dealing with uh, transitions of, of power and keeping up the line uh, and all of that. Uh, and, and so in the year that King Uzziah died, look at this contrast. I, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is Yahweh of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the king, Yahweh of hosts. Isaiah crying, crying out uh, in confessing, I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the king, Yahweh of hosts. He's the true king. And so even when Uzziah dies, God is still reigning. God is still on his throne. Uh, God is still dwelling uh, in the midst of his people. Uh, he's holy and righteous uh, and, and lifted up. And by the way, this language, we saw it in one of the passages that we were reading, I think in the latter part of Isaiah tonight. Uh, but there are at least a few times in the book of Isaiah. I remember seeing this myself, and I also remember uh, Abner, is it Chu? Uh, he's at the, the Master's College, a professor there, uh, who, who's also recognized this. Uh, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sing upon a throne high and lifted up. Uh, my, my servant shall be high, lifted up, and greatly exalted. Isaiah 53. And so there, this, uh, this refrain is used a few times for, for Yahweh. And then you get to Isaiah 53, for it's 52 verse 13 through 53 verse 12. And uh, behold, my servant shall be high and lifted up and greatly exalted. You see some of these different things that make you wonder about who is this servant? Who is this king uh, that, uh, that speaks about uh, the government shall be upon his shoulders and he shall be called uh, mighty God, everlasting father. Or was it? It starts with uh, wonder of a counselor, mighty God, everlasting father. Prince of Peace, and of the increase of his government there shall be no end, one who reigns and lives forever. Uh, and so, some of these connections you see between, uh, kind of like the Carson has asked, what, what, what's the relationship between, uh, kind of in uh, Jeremiah, uh, you have a section where Yahweh denounces the false shepherds, and then he says, I will shepherd my people. I will lead them to green pastures. I will feed them. I will tend the flock. I will uh, bind the broken. I will find the lost. I, 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 I. I will send David my servant. He will shepherd them. And just kind of taken back for a moment. I remember Carson saying, 
what's the relationship between the I and <laughs> who is this one? Um, and so God enthroned, God is king, uh, even when Uzziah dies, 740 BC. Uh, and so you see the, the, uh, the worship uh, of him and kind of like on the ark, this depiction uh, of, I guess you have the, is it the cherubim, and seraphim. And, uh, and so Isaiah's lips are unclean. Uh, for my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts, verse six. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal uh, that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And so now one of the, the holy seraphim that uh, uh, stands before God and uh, you know cries out, holy, 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 uh, takes takes a coal and, and uh, makes uh, atonement and uh, cleansing for for Isaiah for for his uh, for his lips and touched my mouth and said, "Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for." And then uh, we see God speak, and I heard the voice of the Lord saying. Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, here I am, but send me. And he said, go and say to this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and their, uh, and blind their eyes lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. And so here, Isaiah's commissioning, uh, God calls for the one that he intended to appoint. <laughs> some, uh, I know, some have kind of talked about it. Yeah, Isaiah, I mean, you, you want to serve the Lord. Now his lips have been clean. Now he can be God's prophet. Uh, before him and speak and proclaim uh, his word. Uh, but uh, sometimes people take this and, uh, uh, you know, reporting for duty, God, you know, <laughs> kind of like a go out and, you know, and it's like, well, uh, he did appear like right before him and <laughs> uh, it's not, not a subtle suggestion perhaps, but uh, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, it's like, who else is there? <laughs> but, who, whom shall I send and who will go for us? But he gives opportunity to him. Uh, then, then he said, here I am, send me. Uh, and he said, and, and this is his mission. Okay, what's your mission? Uh, God is sending Isaiah. What's the message? You know, what, what, what's he sending him to do? Uh, it might make you think about uh, how much better in what a privilege it is to uh, proclaim uh, the gospel and the good news. Not that Isaiah doesn't, not, not that he doesn't, there isn't a message of salvation and there isn't a remnant, but by and large, this is what characterizes Isaiah's ministry. Mm -hmm. And Jesus himself draws on this. And he said, go and say to this people, keep on hearing, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. 
Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. Lest, oh, we don't want that with this wicked and evil people. God's bringing judgment uh, upon them. We would not want that, that they turn and be healed. This is an evil, wicked people, and God is finally bringing judgment upon them after all of their centuries of, of rebellion. Uh, and so Isaiah's mission, by and large, is one of judgment uh, in, in proclaiming this. Uh, and this is central, progr programmatic for Isaiah's ministry, uh, what follows. His commissioning uh, falls uh, very near to the heart of these uh, early, uh, early chapters. Uh, in which it pivots, and then we, we see this sign that's going to play a very central uh, central role to, to all of these things, uh, which is probably the, the very, very heart of the, the message that he proclaims. Uh, and so, in response to this mission, uh, one that sounds, uh, you know, sounds like a very thankless sort of task mm -hmm. and go and preach to the people and, you know, by and large, they're not going to listen to you. They're just going to be hardened by, by what you proclaim to them. And so Isaiah then asks, then I said, how long, O Lord? How long do I have to do this? How, how long do, does he have to preach to this people uh, the, this message that will, that will only harden them? And he said, until cities lie waste without inhabitant, and houses without people, and the land is a desolate waste, and Yahweh removes people far away, and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. And though a tenth remain in it, it will be burned again like a terebinth or an oak whose stump remains when it is felled. The holy seed uh, is its uh, stump. Uh, or... Let's see what the uh, Hebrew text. And so, oh, a holy seed or holy seed uh, is its stump. Uh, and the, the, the very focus, the heart of that message, because the, the stump is already in view, like a terebinth or an oak whose stump remains when it is filled. And so uh, uh, the holy seed is its stump, or it is the holy seed is its stump. Uh, this, uh, you have this remnant theology, uh, this remnant idea. Even, even after only a tenth remains, it'll be burned again. Judgment's going to come again. Uh, but then, with all but the stump remaining, uh, that's, that's its holy seed. Uh, idea of seed, offspring. Uh, and you'll see pairing with this, uh, with the Davidic king uh, coming forth. But you also see it bound up with this remnant theology and, and believers who uh, are carried along. And some of that even, sometimes Jerusalem herself is spoken of as being pregnant uh, in, in the people, uh, but then within the Davidic line as, as well. And so uh, the nation as a whole, uh, the remnant, uh, but then the, the Davidic line, uh, and then even the, the ultimate king who fulfills uh, all of these things, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so uh, this is very uh, central to the message. And if you read through this section, uh, 7 through 12, and it goes beyond 
You're going to see as judgment comes, a lot of these metaphors and themes and ideas of trees being laid waste and cut down and chopped down and locked down, and, uh, burning in flames spreading across the, uh, the, the land. Uh, and so these very ideas uh, flow into, uh, and then even going into uh, maybe Ryan, you want to read the, read the very end of 10, but then into 11. Of Isaiah? Yeah. Where do you want me to start in 10? Oh, let's see. And so here you get to the end of the outstretched arms, uh, the woes against Assyria. Uh, and go ahead from, as he comes, he shakes his fist at the daughter of Zion, the hill of Jerusalem, king of Assyria. Uh, and go, verse 33. And where do you want me to read till? Just, Just keep reading. Okay. Isaiah 10, 33. Behold, the Lord God of hosts will lop the bows with terrifying power. The great in height will be hewn down and the lofty will be brought low. He will cut down the thickets of the forest with an axe and Lebanon will fall by the majestic one. Into chapter 11. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse and a branch from the root shall bear fruit and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with a rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. That's good for, for now. And so here you, you see this one. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And then you see the sevenfold spirit, spirit of Yahweh, spirit of Yahweh, uh, wisdom and understanding, counsel and might, knowledge and the fear of Yahweh. So you have the, the sevenfold uh, spirit uh, that's upon him, the fullness of God's spirit. Um, and then it even goes into all of these themes of new creation that you see he judges righteously, unlike Unlike the people, unlike their kings, unlike their rulers, unlike their elders, uh, during uh, uh, the time in Isaiah's own day, he judges righteously. And then he even goes into, oh, maybe it's this guy. So, well, maybe more faithful than his father, but uh, verse 6. The, the wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and the little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. Uh, the nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. Oh, no, don't, don't, don't. don't. <laughs> no, it's okay, it's okay. Uh, there, there, there's this complete change uh, with, the, with the animal kind, I mean, with, with the beasts uh, uh, upon the earth that are subdued under this one's dominion. Uh, and so that even the lion eats straw like the ox uh, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den uh, they shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of Yahweh as the waters cover the sea now it's not it's not just it's not waters but it's knowledge knowledge of Yahweh in that day the root of Jesse 
who shall stand as a signal for the peoples. Uh, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. What they were inquiring of Yahweh back in chapter 2. You have all these connections again and again. Uh, in that day, the Lord will extend his hand a second time uh, to recover the remnant uh, that remains of his people from Assyria, from Egypt, from Pathros, from Cush, uh, from Elam, from Shinar, from Hamath, uh, and from uh, the coastlands. So over all the earth. Uh, and so all of these uh, connections throughout, we'll see the, these judgment themes coming with the Assyrians and such upon Israel, and then even upon Assyria herself and the nations around uh, and out of this judgment, God's salvation will, uh, will spring forth uh, with his, his remnant and with, uh, and with, with the God-man, the God-king uh, who, uh, who rules. And so, well, we didn't cover, I was planning on getting really into uh, chapter, uh, the sign within chapter 7, but I also want to take some time to set up the context to understand it in context, see how it fits together. So then, Lord willing, you know, we, we don't have to rush through Isaiah's commissioning next week and quickly get into seven, eight, nine. Uh, but we can take time to uh, to really, uh, really look at it. And so, uh, any last thoughts or comments? Or? No? All right, let's uh, close with prayer. Holy Father, uh, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your prophet Isaiah and uh, all of these marvelous uh, weighty truths that you've proclaimed. And I pray that they would weigh on our hearts and minds, uh, thinking about uh, the horrors of, of your eternal judgment, uh, your absolute perfect uh, righteousness, uh, that uh, justice is the very foundation of your throne and that you must punish sin. Uh, but I thank you uh, all the more that uh, you sent your son uh, to uh, live the perfect life that we couldn't uh, and to uh, bear our sins and all those who repent and trust in him uh, on the cross uh, and uh, that he was buried and, and raised for our justification and seated at your right hand where he ever lives to make intercession for us. And so uh, we thank you for your son. Uh, we thank you for our king and Pray that uh, he would come again soon and that we would look forward to uh, his coming. In the meantime, you give us opportunity uh, and desire to uh, proclaim uh, the good news and to uh, build up and encourage one another uh, so long as it's called today. And so we uh, thank you for these things and uh, we pray in your son's name. Amen.